Welcome to the Anti-Woke Podcast. Short definition of woke is bigoted against straights, racist against whites, and sexist against males. And this is a civil rights podcast, fighting against all forms of discrimination against all types of people. Let's get into it. The Economist had a segment about artificial intelligence saving Africa by educating the kids because the teachers they have are not qualified. And they just had a crazy stat in the segment. I'll give it to you now. They said that in Japan, the students there get 16 years of education out of 14 years of going to school. And the kids in Africa get three years of education out of six years of going to school. And keep it moving. Uh, A phrase I like to say on here quite a bit is money talks and bullshit walks. So I looked that up. From the internet. Money talks and bullshit walks. Money is the most effective means of persuasion and motivation, while empty talk achieves nothing. The phrase was perhaps most famously used by politician Michael Ozzie Myers, who was recorded saying it while accepting a bribe from FBI agents during the AB scam scandal in 1979. Basically, these are just browser windows that I opened up for some reason to talk about them, and then I don't remember why I did, but I'm just going to read from them as I close them. So, when broken down, there are four main basic purposes of prisons. Retribution, to punish individuals for committing a crime. Incapacitation, removing the harm posed to the public. Deterrence, deterring those who commit crimes. And rehabilitation, Actions to rehabilitate the mindset and behavior of a prisoner. Fourteenth Amendment. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. Nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. So the 14th Amendment, that was the one that said you got to treat black people equally, but then they don't mention black people in there. They just say you got to treat everyone equally. And now we're in our sticky wicket when everyone's racist against whites. And then I was looking up if Kamala Harris has kids, and she's a stepmom. And I was looking up pictures of her and her family. She has a stepson and stepdaughter. What do they call her husband? They call him the second husband, you know, like the first lady. And I was looking at him, I'm like, is he Jewish? Yep, he's Jewish. And then the daughter is crazy tall. And at least in some pictures, she's pretty hot. You know, it's just a a young, crazy tall white girl. And so I went on the end, her name is Ella Emhoff. I guess that's Kamala Harris's... Emhoff is her husband's name. Uh, I, I asked the internet, is Ella Emhoff Jewish? And the internet said, she was named after the jazz singer Ella Fitzgerald. Although her father is of Ashkenazi Jewish descent, a spokesperson for Emhoff clarified that Ella does not identify as Jewish. She has an older brother, Cole. Let's go off the reservation a little bit. Ella Fitzgerald, isn't that like a famous black singer from the... 20s 
it sounds like her dad may have a thing for black women and married Kamala Harris. But so this, let's see, if he's the second husband, then I guess that would be the second daughter. The second daughter is also a model. And anytime I hear someone's a model, I'm like, oh, I bet there's naked pictures of him on the internet. And there were. And I heard that Steven Spielberg's daughter was complaining about Barbie not getting enough Oscar noms. So I went on the internet to look up Steven Spielberg's daughter. And I think he has a whole, he has a ton of daughters. And anyways, the one that the internet tells you about the first is he has a black daughter who makes pornos. That was as far as I took it, but that was interesting. I mean, I took it a little bit farther, but not much. So Harvard is controlled by two groups. I forget their names. There's a group of 12 that really controls Harvard. And then there's a group of 30 that, I don't know, tries and helps to control Harvard. And the group of 12, to join that group of 12, you have to be selected by the people who are currently on the group of 12. So anti-woke people who want to throw out everyone who's in control of Harvard because of DEI and replace them with people who aren't anti-Semitic can kind of piss up a rope. But the other board, which I think can cause some trouble for pro-DEI people at Harvard, the 30 of them, they have an election of some sort. And I don't know if it's all 30 of them, but anyways, that election happens this week, upcoming. And so Bill Ackman, the Jewish billionaire who was one of the main guys who took down the black female Harvard president. He's putting people forward to be on the group of 30. And I didn't even know that, but I saw a headline because Zuckerberg, the guy who started Facebook, is putting some people forward. And I think Zuck is, you know, Zuck, Zuck the cuck, he's woke, but he's also a Jew who doesn't like anti-Semitism. And more importantly, he's insanely rich, so they may have some sway with Harvard. That's going to be interesting. So am I enamored of the idea? I'm enamored of following the idea and seeing if it's true. Is the downfall of wokeness going to be that Jews turned on it because of Israel Hamas? Kids on campus calling for genocide, etc. So I was listening to some podcast, I think a Jewish podcast, you better say that, um, where they mentioned that, I guess, Richard Hanania had put together a bunch of stats on Jews, and they were 50% of donations to the Democratic Party. And I was like, that's an interesting stat. Let's go find more of those stats. So, the Hanania Newsletter, The Great Jewish Realignment of 2023, Why the Next Generation of American Elites Will Be More Right-Wing. The American elite is very, very Jewish. Everyone knows this to some degree, but unless you've spent time in the darker corners of the internet, you probably have no idea just how Jewish it is. In the U.S., Jews are about 2.7% of the population, but 17% of our billionaires, and 10% of billionaires globally. They make up 9% of the Senate and 6% of the House, which may seem somewhat low, but is impressive given how geographically concentrated American Jews are. Most interestingly, in the 2020 election cycle, they were 15 of the top 25 individual donors as of September. That year wasn't much of an outlier. In 2014, a third of the top 50 political contributors were also Jewish.
And he goes into some stats about to be powerful, it's not enough to be rich. You have to be politically active. And so Jews are very into politics. Let's read a little more. To be in the top 1% or higher of influence, you have to be extreme, both in terms of how successful you are and how much you care about politics. This is why, despite East Asians being a highly educated group and about as numerous as Jews, they are basically a non-factor in American politics, except when they are pushing back on the most absurd initiatives to come out of San Francisco. Anyways, go look up that article if you want more of that. It goes on and on. It's a pretty long one. And you know, with blacks and queers, I don't usually put in the caveats. Blacks are okay, queers are okay, and then say what I want to say. But I think with Jews, I got to remind people, I'm a fan of the Jews. You know, I think if you own a house, if you live in a city that ain't a shithole, a decent chunk of that can be attributed to Jews. I mean, basically everything that's nice in America, what it requires is the correct allocation of money. In countries that don't have Jews, they take their money and they put it into some project that flops and they lose all their money and everything's screwed. Think Africa. But in America, we got an amazing banking system that builds everything you see around us. Like, let's go to a real world example. Like, what happened to me yesterday? Yesterday, I bought a 32 pack of Twinkies and Ho Ho's from Amazon delivered to my door for $17. And that was amazing. I love it. And that was made partly possible by the Jews in America and the Germans. I think that's the biggest group of white people we have. Uh, I don't think the Irish helped at all. If it was up to the Irish, that 32 pack of Twinkies and Ho-Hos would probably be like 50 bucks. And American Jews did get really woke, but I forgive them. And if they're going to switch to anti-woke, then sweet. And it turned out 12 of the terrorists who went out raping and murdering on October 7th worked for the United Nations. And they worked for UNRWA, UNRWA, U-N-R-W-A. That's the UN thing that America and Israel pay to build cities for the Palestinians. And basically, UNRWA is woke. I mean... No one knew they were so woke that they were actually going out and raping and murdering, which is okay because they're on the side of the oppressed and they're, you know, only raping the oppressor. But basically, is the United Nations woke? I had never thought about it. But if you put it like that, it's like, oh, they must be insanely woke. And the answer is they are. And they're paid for by the United States. I mean, it gives us power to pay for the UN. You know, if we want to get into a war or something, then we can have the UN kind of provide some, I don't know, cover for us, rhetorical cover. But anyways, it turns out the UN, another thing they're doing is spending a billion dollars a year helping immigrants come into America. They're like renting buses, buying plane tickets, bringing people from all over the world you know, to the bottom of Mexico, up, up to the border, and then letting them in. And giving them, like, debit cards so they can buy stuff, giving them cell phones, giving them envelopes full of cash. So that's your tax dollar at work, once again. What's going on with the wars? 
Eh, not much. Ukraine shot down a Russian airplane that might have had a bunch of Ukraine POWs on it. So that's like using them as human shields. Or maybe that didn't even happen. And then Israel and Hamas have been negotiating over freeing the hostages in exchange for some sort of ceasefire. And I think one possible deal was all the hostages in exchange for a two-month ceasefire. And then Israel goes right back to pounding the sand pounding them into the sand, but Hamas said two months off is not enough. But it sounds like at some point here we're going to get some sort of ceasefire or something or other. Chevron deference was argued in front of the Supreme Court this week, I think. And it's named after Chevron, like the gas station company. But it's about the question of who gets to decide what federal agencies can do. Like the original idea was you pass a law and whatever the law says a federal agency can do, well, that's what they can do, but they can't do nothing else. If you want them to do some more stuff, you got to pass another law. But there's been a series of court cases over, I don't know, 40 years that have been changing that and giving federal agencies more power. It's kind of like, I'll make something up, like, oh, you know, you pass a law that says... A federal agency can control gasoline and diesel. And then the agency is like, okay, well, we control diesel. Diesel is made from oil. Oil comes out of the ground. Okay, we control the ground. You want to build your house on the ground? Uh, uh, buddy. And maybe, you know, the law says they control diesel. Well, that's close enough to oil. They should be able to control oil too, but not the ground that the oil comes out of. So how do you decide, you know, how much is too much? Where to draw the line? And so that's the deference. You know, who do you give deference to? And Chevron deference means that you defer to the federal agency itself. They kind of decide what they control. And when you're like, I don't know if you can control it, you ask them to double check if they can. And they're like, oh yeah, we can. Or maybe sometimes they say, you're right, we can't. But I think like environmental protection agency laws in particular and just federal law or federal agency mandates across the board have been created out of thin air kind of and not written into law and so if the supreme court says you can't do this thing where you ask the agency themselves and defer to what they say then it could really turn the whole the whole federal government's ability to control stuff upside down. I think the Constitution says they shouldn't be able to do that and you should turn everything upside down. But courts don't like to turn everything upside down, so no one knows what they're going to say. It'll probably be five to four. The liberals will say, it's fine. Plus, however many conservatives needed to get to five. The parents of a school shooter are being tried for... I think manslaughter, anyways, for crimes. I think they bought their kid a gun. They did not keep the gun in a locked place. And people keep saying this is the first case like this ever, although there was a mom whose six-year-old kid shot a teacher who got some sort of jail sentence recently. So I'm, I'm not sure how this one is the first ever. But it looks like maybe they're gonna set a precedent where if you got a mentally ill kid, you probably need to keep your guns locked up. Otherwise, if they go use the gun to do something bad, you may go to 
jail. And if you got a mentally ill kid, you probably should lock up your guns. I mean, I'm, I'm pro Second Amendment. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean you should let mentally ill kids play with guns. I just wonder if they're ever gonna make it where, if your kid murders someone, and you know, a gun that you didn't even know they had, do they charge the parents? And then, uh oh, disparate impact. Texas and the feds have started a civil war over immigration. Not really, but I think I'm going to put that in the title of this podcast. So the Federalist Radio Hour podcast had a good breakdown of the situation this week. But basically, you know, why did we used to call it illegal immigration, but now we call it undocumented blah blah? Well, that's because the laws say immigrants just can't come into America across the border. That's illegal. But Joe Biden wants an open border, and he's made that his policy. So, you know, the words matter. I don't know. Actions matter. Words kind of matter. Whether or not you get reelected matters. But Texas has been putting up razor wire and shipping containers and other stuff along the border because... The feds are letting people in, and it went to the Supreme Court, and five to four, so three liberals plus two supposedly conservatives said the feds can take down the razor wire. But I believe they've also allowed Texas to put up more razor wire, so you know they can go in a circle. They can chase each other in a circle, putting up and taking down razor wire, if they want. But the feds don't want to because they want to keep it out of the media. Like, you know, arguably, you know, it's uh, on a scale of 1 to 100, we are now at a 7 on the way to a civil war, which would be a big deal, but the media is remaining silent. And Texas wants the feds to go take it down and have, like, the Texas National Guard bumping chest to chest with uh, Border Patrol agents, but... Anyways, Biden campaign, like the Biden campaign doesn't want to let immigrants in because that'll hurt the re-election, whereas the Biden administration is controlled by far-left Marxists or something, I don't even know, and they want open borders. And there's a thing in the Constitution which says that a state can repel an invasion if the federal government hasn't gotten there yet. So Texas Governor Greg Abbott is like, we're being invaded, and, you know, you know, maybe you could even shoot them as they come over the border if it was a real invasion. It's kind of like, you know, why did, why did they call <laughs> that one riot an insurrection? It's because just like the word invasion is in the Constitution in a funny way, the word insurrection is in there. And if you can call a riot an insurrection, then it allows you to do certain things. So right-wingers are playing the same game. So the real question is, can the president not enforce the law or maybe even break the law? And if the president's breaking the law, you know, or whatever, if the president is doing that kind of stuff, can the state step in and enforce the law? Like normally they can't, but, you know, what if the president is breaking the law? We don't know. That's, I don't think it's gone before the Supreme Court and it's not going to get figured out before the election. But so the razor wire situation mostly was happening in, a, I guess, a Texas state park in Eagle Pass, Texas. And it's a nice little park on the river, and on the other side of the river is Mexico. And so the feds set up a processing station there 
And so all the immigrants could just look across the river and say, oh, you get to that processing station, you say the magic open sesame words, you know, I claim asylum, I fear for my life in my home country. You say those words, I don't know if you have to say them in English or not. I mean, people just read it off their phone, basically. And then the feds, you know, the border patrol, the people who work for the border patrol don't want to do this. But anyways, they've been told you will be fired unless you do what you're told. And so they go, okay, you said the magic words, you're in. And then Texas put up a bunch of razor wire so they couldn't have their little thing. I think Texas is like, you know, just go down the river to something that isn't a nice manicured lawn state park and do it. So we'll just see. Like I say, what they don't want is for it to get on the news. So up until the last month, there was 15,000 immigrants showing up each day. Which, you know, what's that? If you did that for a year, that'd be like 5 million. You know, what state do you live in, dear listener? It's probably more people than live in your state. But that was creating a spectacle to the point where even the mainstream media was going down to the border to just catch some footage of it with their cameras and going, holy crap, look at all these people. So a month ago, the Biden administration got together with Mexico and, like, you know, Mexico doesn't care. They can be draconian. They can get harsh on the immigrants. They can get medieval on their asses. And so Biden got the Mexicans to stop the immigrants down to 5,000 a day. So one and a half million a year. You know, only if you live in a small state is it an equal to your state every year. So this guy on the Federalist podcast, he said, we don't know what the deal is that Biden brokered with Mexico. Is it a carrot or a stick? If it's a carrot, like we're gonna give you a bunch of money, then as soon as they cash the check, he says, Mexico will be like, okay, we've done our part, we got our money, we're done, and the immigrants are going to come rushing back in. But if it's the stick, like, we're not going to trade with you and let you build all our cars and take all our jobs, then they'll have to keep doing it the whole time until the election. We don't know. And apparently the stick was what uh, Trump did with them. So people coming over the border looking for jobs, not usually what you'd classify as an invasion. Basically, you need military people coming to kill you. Now, maybe if you're real, you know, if you unfocus your eyes real hard, you could say the drug cartels sending people over with fentanyl or something as an invasion. But I asked ChatGPT, how could it be called an invasion? And so I asked it, how can immigration be described as an invasion? And it replied... Referring to immigration as an invasion is a subjective and emotionally charged characterization that may not accurately capture the complex and varied nature of migration. The term invasion typically conveys a sense of forceful entry with hostile intentions. However, immigration is a multifaceted phenomenon influenced by a variety of factors such as economic opportunities, political instability, blah, 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 blah. It goes on and on and on and on and on like that. And so I was like, I asked how it can be described that way. Only tell me that. Describing immigration as an invasion may stem from a perspective that blah, 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 but it's shorter. I said, try again and limit your answer to my question. Describing immigration as an invasion typically involves framing the arrival, blah, 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 but it's still shorter. <laughs> and so I asked again, try again, remove any text that doesn't directly answer my question.
And finally, it said, Describing immigration as an invasion implies viewing the arrival of a large number of people as forceful and potentially disruptive, emphasizing perceived threats to a host country's resources, culture, or stability. So basically, you need like a prompt that says, answer this, you know, whatever question I give you, answer it four times, each time <laughs> making it shorter and only answering the thing that I ask and removing any extraneous text. And then finally, just give me your fourth answer. Don't give me your first three. And this week, a deal in Congress fell apart where they were going to give money to Ukraine and do something about immigration. And we don't know exactly what they were going to do about immigration, but it sounds like they were going to let them all in. Like, you know, that's the Republican policy. <laughs> let them all in. And this is because even though, you know, Trump has taken over the Republican Party, as they say, 90% of Republican politicians are the same as they've always been, which is they want to let in as many immigrants as possible because that destroys workers' wages and makes housing completely unaffordable, both of which things are great for the rich. And then, of course, they're in the pocket of the military-industrial complex, so they want to give money to Ukraine. And Trump riling up the base, which, you know, the base was never really for helping the rich and hurting the middle class, but, you know, it's getting closer to a fever pitch. And so Trump said, don't take the deal. You know, if we don't get a good deal, don't take the deal. And then, you know, the Republican senators are like, he said, don't take any deal because he wants to run on it in November. You know, there's a difference between don't take a deal if it isn't a good one versus don't take any deal because I don't want a deal because I want to run on this issue. I want it to stay messed up. But anyways, that was the that's what they put forward. That's what the media reported. I mean, obviously, politicians are always lying and they're always gaslighting the voters. They want to hurt the voters while telling the voters they're helping them. You know, it's, it gets them the best of both worlds. And I think the Democrats, it's probably actually easier to bring the Democrats back from the dark side than it is to, you have to replace every Republican politician. They, can, they can't be fixed. Well, 90% of them. I'm going to have to remind myself, I voted for Joe Biden because he was the moderate Democrat. He was the non-open borders Democrat. And then, well, you see what we get. I think he was supposed to be anti-war. All sorts of crap. But the economy is doing better. Maybe. I mean, there's GDP growth, which a lot of times that just means the rich are getting richer. But maybe it's getting better for the average person. So the question is, you know, now before till the election, about 10 months, can Biden get the economy to do good and immigration down so those things no longer are big deals and then, you know, get people riled up over abortion so he can win? I mean, that's his plan. And, you know, changing voters' mind is like turning a big ship around. Is there enough time? We don't know. Is there enough time for the mainstream media to get enough lies into people's ears while they're also going out of business? I mean, I'm sure the FBI and the CIA is going to be trying to rig the election even harder. They haven't really started it yet. Or who knows? We, it's hard to tell with them. You find out after the fact. So America is mostly full of white people who are not racist at all. And they look at black and brown people and are like, man, they need help. I want to help them. 
And so that means Americans pretty close to support open borders, or at least they did. So if the news stops making the border look like an invasion, do we go back to how it was in June 23? So Gallup did a bunch of polls in June 23. Let's run through how America felt about immigration then. Skip ahead a few minutes if you don't want a bunch of numbers. Thinking now about immigrants, that is, people who come from other countries to live here in the United States, in your view, should immigration be kept at its present level, increased or decreased? More immigrants, 26. Keep at the same, 31. Decreased, 41. So keep at the same or more immigrants is 57. It's basically like 60-40. 60-40 people want more or the same amount. I think we'll see that trend. On the whole, do you think immigration is a good thing or a bad thing for this country today? Good thing 68, bad thing 27. Now, individual things. So, is, is immigration making, for instance, crime in America better or worse? No effect or better, 53, making America worse, 47. Job opportunities in America, making Americans' job prospects better or worse. Better, 74, worse, 26. Making food better in America, better or the same or better, 86, worse, 14. Making the economy the same or better, 62, worse, 38. Making taxes the same or better, 65, worse, 44. Making social or moral values better or the same in America, 73, worse, 25. And then they did an older poll in 2016 on whether or not immigrants should be deported. So white people said immigrants should be deported, 36. They should be able to stay, 72. Black people said immigrants should be deported 23, they should be able to stay 76. And Hispanic people said immigrants should be deported 21, they should be allowed to stay 78. Now those stats are seven months old or older. So, you know, what's going on today? What really matters is in November, but I, I went and looked for some more recent polling. I'll just read this, I think this is the Washington Post. Nearly as many New York Democrats said migrants coming to the state over the past 20 years have been a burden, 35%, as said they have been a benefit, 37%. 75% of New York Democrats said the recent influx of migrants to the state was at least a somewhat serious problem. Nearly half, 47%, said it was a very serious problem. 53% of New York Democrats agreed with the statement that New Yorkers have already done enough for new migrants and should now work to slow the flow of migrants to New York. The alternative was that the state should accept new migrants and work to assimilate them into New York, a position which 41% of the Democratic respondents agreed. This is just one state, obviously. A Fox News poll this month showed that a majority of Democrats were at least very concerned about border security. And last month, the same pollster showed three-quarters of Democrats describing the situation at the southern border as either an emergency or a 
major problem. That's double the 37% saying the same thing in early 2019. Who do voters think would do a better job on immigration? 18 points favored the Republicans. I mean, what does that all mean? Obviously, New York is not voting for Trump. But when Democrats get concerned about it, you got to expect the independents and people in the middle are getting even more concerned. Oh, and the guy on the Federalist podcast was also talking about immigration in Europe. So Poland built up a wall, not a wall, but a fence between them and Belarus. You might remember like a year and a half ago, Belarus was flying in people from the Middle East and sending them through like a forest into Poland so they could then move on to the rest of Europe. So Poland put up a fence. They were hitting them with tear gas, hitting them with water cannons, drove them back. But basically Belarus, right, that's the only friend country that Russia has. And that was a right-wing anti-immigration Polish government who has just been replaced recently by a left-wing pro-immigrant Polish government. And so Russia and Belarus are looking at Poland and their new government, wondering if, hey, can you start sending the Middle Easterners in again? And if you do, are they willing to use tear gas and water cannons, or are they going to let them shoot them on through to Germany? And we don't know, but the European Union elections are, a f- I don't know, five months away. And if you get a ton of immigrants coming through Poland in the next five months, that could change things. And then the way that like a three million immigrants, I guess, moved into Europe in 2015, 2016. And, you know, basically it's whatever. They went over the land. They didn't walk, I guess, maybe buses. But, you know, you go through the Middle East, you go up through Turkey, you go through the Balkans. Like, you know, think of Italy as like a peninsula. And there's a little bit of water on the right, and then land. Well, that land is the Balkans. And so there was a Balkans corridor where all the immigrants were going through, and they shut that down in 2016. And it goes through several countries, in particular Slovenia, which has the most attractive women on the planet. That's where Trump's wife comes from. And they're a much richer country than they sound like they would be. But anyways, governments have changed along that Balkan corridor thing, And where there used to be giant walls, it's just like little things you can step over now. And so they may be about to get a ton of immigrants through that thing too. So we're just waiting to see if Europe has an immigration crisis in the five months leading up to their elections. There were a couple interactions on Spotify this week. The perennial question is, what's pissing you off this week? And the answers were, Eric said, Every time a left-wing Australian tells me Americans are stupid, I recommend they listen to you and Scott Adams to spite them. Trouble is, I believe, they're too scared to. Thanks for the comment, Eric. I think when your self-conception of yourself as a good person is tied up with a bunch of stuff that ain't true, it's very threatening to have someone talk about true things. You don't want to hear it. And if you're, you know, if you aren't the good person that you think you are, that could even affect your friends, your family. They may not be as good. It's scary. And Chopper22 said, Nothing like it was pissing me off. DEI is dying. America is screwed. Let's just recline and watch the decline.
Well, thanks for the comment, Chopper22. I wish I had something that rhymed with decline, but I don't. But the number one way that people learn about podcasts is by word of mouth, so please tell someone about this podcast. And maybe you can't think of who to tell, so how about the fourth person you talk to on Tuesday? Whoever it is, just take a flyer. The Slate Culture Gab Fest is a movie review, music review podcast that's pretty good. It's super woke, but it's good. And they always have three segments. And this week, all three of them were Get Woke, Go Broke. So the fourth season of True Detective from HBO just came out. Uh, The first season, the only real famous one, had Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey. Apparently that season, what that season was all about, according to the this podcast, was two white men in a car talking about crimes that happened to women. And apparently it was good. I guess it's like that women in refrigerator thing. It's a meme you might have heard of. I think there, there was some year where maybe a couple movies came out where... A woman was murdered and then her dead body was put into a refrigerator. And this was cited as, you know, Hollywood's racist against women. All women are good for is putting their dead bodies in refrigerators, the women in refrigerator phenomenon or something. But the fourth season, they've gotten rid of whoever used to make the show, I think some white men, and Issa Lopez, a woman, probably a woman of color is now in charge. And the two leads are women, and apparently they're unlikable, and no one likes the show. Surprise! And Jodie Foster, who, you know, she was good in the, I don't know, 70s and early 90s. I guess she plays a mega Karen. She's a racist white woman. You know, in real life, I mean, white women are racist as hell against whites, but they're, they're the least racist against people of color, so... The media is constantly, and the news, constantly making up racist white women. I mean, that's what a Karen is. Anyways, but if you're writing a story, you can actually make one racist. And it's not black people, it's native Alaskans or something. Anyways, every segment, they speak ill of white people. And in that one, it was the two white guys in a car talking about women in refrigerators. And then the next segment is about the new movie Origin. It might have a sub subtitle too but it's Ava DuVernay's new movie she's an African-American you know a woman of color director and the movie just came out it was an enormous flop made no money um they was thinking that maybe it would get Oscar nominations didn't do that either and the movie is about how this is kind of interesting it draws parallels between the Holocaust and Jews and then slavery, and blacks, and India, and the caste system. So what does the podcast say about whites? Oh, the caste system, that's caused by whites. British, blah, blah. The movie's wrong when it says it's been around for thousands of years. And as far as the Holocaust being like slavery, uh, I think this podcast has one word for you, schmalocaust, as in Holocaust, schmalocaust. Don't be comparing what happened to the Jews to what happened to blacks. I think there's a, maybe a recreation of the Trayvon Martin situation in the movie. 
I don't think they go into the fact that Trayvon Martin was completely in the wrong, slamming the guy's head on the concrete repeatedly until he got shot. But, but I guess there's this thing I'm, maybe I'm noticing. I don't know. Like the movie, uh, the magical, the uh, the the something or other society of magical Negroes. Like critics have been able to watch it and they're not reviewing it fav- favorably, and most of the reviews at least the initial reviews were like this movie sucks it doesn't it doesn't give white people what for it doesn't point out that white people are as evil as they are and i think that was a movie made by black people and so this origin is another movie made by black people and it just it isn't calling out it isn't being racist against whites enough so now that's two movies that have come out recently that made by black people not racist against whites, or at least not enough. And then woke white people don't like the movies. So I'm looking for a pattern. I guess two, is two a trend? Maybe. And then the third segment is about the website Pitchfork, which I never, maybe I heard of it, certainly never gone there. It's a indie music review website. It was the premier one. And what do they say about white people? It was started by white men. It was very well received. It was the number one website on, you know, it was the number one media outlet for that kind of stuff. Uh, It got bought by Condé Nast. I think they own like almost all the magazines at the grocery store. Anyways, in 2018, they put a black woman in charge of it and now it's going out of business. We call that Pulling a Sports Illustrated. So the Secret Society of Magical Negroes movie was produced by the new movie studio M88. I looked it up. What does the internet say? In 2020, M88 was launched to support and amplify the next generation of artists and cultural leaders. What to know about M88, the new agency focused on diversity. It's just funny because also on the internet it says 88 is a white supremacist numerical code for Heil Hitler. 88 hand sign. One of the most popular white supremacist symbols is the numeric symbol 88 which stands for Heil Hitler. Substituting letters for numbers, 88 means HH. I don't know. Black people name their movie studios the darndest things. One of the New York Times podcasts this week talked about how many people are being laid off from mainstream media jobs. Like this week, the LA Times announced they're laying off 20% of their staff, over 100 people. And apparently Time Magazine has been gutted. Last year, Washington Post lost over 200 jobs. There was 20,000 jobs in general, but not everyone was a reporter from mainstream media outlets in 2023. Now, why is this all happening? Well, according to the New York Times, it's because Facebook and Meta, the company that owns Facebook, has decided we don't want news on our site. Like the news media keeps complaining about Facebook news, you know, radicalizing your uncle and sending articles between people, you know, pro-Trump or something. And so initially they, you know, They don't say this. New York Times doesn't say this. Initially, Facebook was like, let's just, 
you know, let's just put our thumb on the scale and get rid of right-wing news. But anyways, eventually they just said, let's get rid of all news. And just, you know, the internet was putting a lot of pressure on media outlets. And then Facebook was kind of propping them up. You know, they own Instagram also. And then about a year ago, they turned off the spigot. And Elon Musk has been talking about how mainstream media outlets are down 20% in page visits. And Twitter is up 20% in page visits. And he thinks it's because Twitter is replacing the, the news. Twitter is the news. Except it doesn't have Trump derangement syndrome. But so, woke mainstream media and their cancel culture. Like, you know, how many right-wing people did they get fired and destroy their lives? You know, ten of them? A hundred of them? Well, it turns out the woke people... Thousands of them are all losing their jobs. Let's check in with vagina owners. Humans that have lady parts. So the Feminine Chaos podcast is talking about a New York Times article. 5,000 words on why Taylor Swift is attracted to women. And I guess the person put together a ton of evidence. It's kind of like that thing... If you take their birthday and divide it by 2, then that's 13, and 13 is the letter H, and H is the first letter and hates Trump, and then everyone who hates Trump is bisexual. Actually, H is the 8th letter, because 88 stands for Hitler, but one of the black movies, the production company was like, it wasn't H88, but it was, it was some letter in 88, and I was like, did you know what you named your production company but I guess one time she wore a bunch of bracelets one of which had the colors of the bisexual flag I don't know the colors I wish I knew those colors I've mentioned my theory before all women are genetically bisexual it's an evolutionary thing but if everyone's bisexual then no one's bisexual and that's not fun and basically they want to claim Taylor she's popular she's A lot of people think she's awesome. They want to claim her. They want to claim her for the queer world. I don't think they say she's queer. They say she's attracted to women. No, they they don't say she's bisexual. She's queer and she's attracted to women. Queer is the new thing where you can be totally straight and be queer. Remember what? 50% of high school girls are now some sort of queer. And the black and Hispanic ones aren't some sort of queer, which means that most white high school girls are some sort of queer now. Which really means they're nothing, they're just normal. But it makes me think, I think it was the Chappelle show that had the racial draft. It was like a sports draft. And like white people drafted Tiger Woods. And somehow they traded O.J. Simpson to black people, and black people were like, yeah, and white people were like, yeah. And then they mentioned that people think that Taylor Swift's relationship with Travis Kelsey, who's a famous football player, is made up to be make them famous. It's just, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, she is so damn famous. She needed to be more famous? I mean, she has that much extra time to get extra famous doing it that way i mean like have to watch a bunch of football games that you don't want to watch that's she's famous for cheering for her boyfriend from the well not from the stands from the luxury boxes and then a football player wants to be famous i don't think he's get he's getting not getting any money from it he doesn't have like 
record sales that can go up. He just he has this football contract, I think. Well, he was an endorser of some sort, but I don't know. Anyways, I think they're just in a relationship. I don't see why it's so crazy. And she's, you know, if you look, if you go, you know, you can type in the name of any celebrity plus the word dating. And then, I don't know, who's dated who, or anyway, there's a few websites that just list celebrities and who they've, and others, who they've dated, usually other celebrities they've dated. And like, you know, the number of notches on Taylor Swift's bedpost is crazy. Like, she's a horn dog. Katie Herzog, old school lesbian, she once said, what does queer mean? It means you vote Democrat. I would go further, I would say it means you hate Trump supporters. But the feminine chaos lady's take on this New York Times article is, first off, what's Taylor going to do? Is she going to be like, I'm not gay. You can't say that. What do you mean you're not gay? You hate gay people? You're a Nazi. It used to be you'd say, I'm not gay because being gay would hurt your career. Now it's like, you can't say, I'm straight because that would hurt your career. But Taylor Swift has never denounced her her fans who are on the right. I mean, you know, she just she has so many fans. Some of them are, you know, going to be Trump supporters. Everyone, every kind of person, at least every kind of vagina owner out there is a, possibly a Taylor Swift fan. And so she hasn't denounced half her fans, which pisses up people on the left off. And she said a few things to support, you know, to say she supports the LGBTQ2IA plus community. But she doesn't go on and on about it the way people would like. And I don't think she's denounced Trump. I think one time there was like a local, I think she's from Tennessee, like a local, she endorsed a local politician who was a Democrat or something. I don't know how local they were. Not a big time national politician and it wasn't a giant national thing i mean you know they wanted to like play a song before biden comes out every time or something so you know it ain't true unless the new york times says it this is a flex to tell taylor swift hey get on the right side of history the way i would say it is you're not being hateful enough taylor swift come out and wear your hate on your sleeve like the rest of us lefties i mean that's all a bit of a bank shot but there is some sort of left-wing horseplay going on in another segment on the show, they're talking about the New York Times wrote an article about Mean Girls, a musical remake of the 2004 Mean Girls movie just came out. It did good in its first week and then had a big drop in its second weekend. So I was like, oh, do we have another little mini Barbie on our hands? Nope, we don't. But apparently the original movie was based on a 2002 book about some woman who studied Mean Girls, maybe went around to schools and tried to stop bullying. And she said that every school she went to, some girl would stand up and say, yeah, at this school, we don't have a problem with bullying. You know, people just hang out with whichever group they want to hang out with, and everyone gets along fine. And then, supposedly, Whoever stands up and says that, that is the queen bee most evil bitch. And then Kat, she's one of the feminine chaos co-hosts. She said that someone, possibly this lady who wrote the book, came to her middle school, you know, years ago, and gave a speech about bullying. 
And then one of the girls got up and said, you know, people just hang out with who they want to hang out with and there's no bullying. And that girl was the girl who had been bullying Kat. To hear Kat tell it, that girl just the week prior had come up to her in gym class, said a little rhyme about Kat being flat-chested, and then elbowed her so hard she fell on the ground. So the New York Times is writing all about mean girls, and basically the concept of mean girls is not useful politically anymore. Like, a mean girl is a girl, you know, what is a mean girl? A mean girl is a girl who is evil and mean to other people. Well, we all know there's only one kind of person who's evil in the world today, and that's a white person. So you can't, you know... So the New York Times, anyways, is not quite sure. That either means that all mean girls are white, or else don't ever talk about mean girls again. And then back in real life, the girl that elbowed Cat to the ground, she was mixed. And it's just, it's like the Slate Culture Gabfest podcast that I talk about elsewhere in this podcast, where every segment they have to metaphorically elbow white people to the ground. Now the New York Times has to get that elbow into every article. I mean, I guess the Taylor Swift article was to elbow straight people to the ground. Whatever, they gotta be woke. And for some reason, I feel like if every piece of media has to attack straights or whites or males or capitalism or the truth or math, aka the things that gave equal rights to gays, equal rights to women, equal rights to people of color, and up and da- up is down, and if you don't agree, you're a bigot, I think anti-woke is winning. They can't, they can't do that forever. That's the last gasp. That's like the Terminator 2 who's in the molten metal and it comes out one last time before it goes down and melts. And then if you've seen trailers for the new Mean Girls movie, then the Regina George character is like the star. This is the character played by Rachel McAdams in 2004, kind of her breakout thing that turned her into a big movie star. There's this line from the movie. She says, stop trying to make fetch happen. Like one of the sidekicks to the evil mean girl is trying to replace the word cool with fetch. Like, oh, that dress is so fetch. And Regina just icily looks at her and says, stop trying to make fetch happen. And you still hear that on the internet. But so it was a book, then it was a movie, then it was actually a musical on Broadway or something. And now another movie, a musical movie. And so I think basically the best part of the movie is the main evil mean girl. And so it's kind of changed to where she's the protagonist now. And the girl that plays her, the actress, last name Rap, R-A-P-P, she like co-hosted Saturday Night Live. You know, stop trying to make rap happen. But they're, they're trying to make it happen. But Galaxy Brain cancel culture is mean girls for adults you know you think that kimonos are cool that's cultural appropriation don't you know what the whites did to the japanese you know everyone gangs up on twitter and you know we're gonna send emails to your employer and get you fired very mean girl and you know that one and not always but that is kind of a white girl thing 
and back to Taylor Swift. There's an online community. It's kind of like shipping. Ship is short for relationship. And it could be anyone, but a lot of times it's gay. Like you'll ship, um, I don't know, Obi-Wan and Darth Vader means you think that it would be great if they were in a loving relationship or something. Write some fan fiction about it. But if you think that Taylor Swift is gay, then you're gayler. And if you think she's bi, then you're byler. And if you think she's straight, then you're hetler. The Oscar nominations came out this week. Oppenheimer got 13 noms. Uh, that's a lot. The big snub is the female Barbie director and the female Barbie star. There wasn't a lot of black nominations, so you'd think that's what people complain about, complain about, but anyways, we're complaining about white women not getting nominated this year. This is a white girl, hot white girl summer. I mean, it's kind of funny for women to complain because they got best actress and best supporting actress. I mean, they get a bunch of nominations just for that. I mean, I think we should start black categories. That'd be, you know, best black actor. Sounds good to me. The movie that some people thought was really going to do it for black people, The Color Purple, did not get very many nominations. It didn't do that good in the box office, and it had some controversies where the, the black actresses kept complaining about food. They were like, they didn't even have food on the set. And then Oprah was the producer, so they're like, hey, Oprah, you're not feeding us, which... You know, the press was like, oh, these damn white... Oh, it's Oprah that wasn't feeding them? Well, never mind. And then there was the Critics' Choice Awards, you know, where everyone went and sat at their fancy tables, uh, maybe last week or something, and I think they gave you pizza, fancy pizza in a bag was the food they provided. And then the actresses from The Color Purple were not happy with that either. Like, the camera went around and showed people getting their pizza. And the women were like, oh, whatever. They were making faces. So there's a theory that too much complaining locked them out of the Oscars. Got to keep your attitude in check. And the thing about Barbie is it was the number one movie of the year. Made like a one and a half billion dollars. I think it was full of feminism. People loved it. And it came out the same year that Marvel Cinematic Universe, MCU, MC uterus also came out with a bunch of feminist movies but they flopped at the box office and originally disney bought marvel because the disney princesses were selling toys and bed sheets like crazy and they wanted a boy version to sell merch and then i guess they forgot why they did it and got taken over by social justice warriors and whatever now no one cares about marvel or star wars or pixar or Walt Disney Animation. And I just feel like the motivation, you know, if you want to lift up women, lift up all women, then you make a feminist Barbie movie. And if you hate men, then you turn Star Wars feminist. I was thinking how if Trump picked Vivek Ramaswamy to be vice president, then there'd be a decent chance that America would end up with an Indian president. And then I remember that Kamala Harris is 50% Indian, and then that's one, I think that's her mom, and then her dad is from maybe Jamaica, and her dad is part white and part black. So 50% Indian, 
something less than half black, something less than half white. And so Trump and Biden, they're both super old. Either one of them could die while they're president or vice president, obviously, could become president after them. I mean, multiple ways of becoming president. So whatever. Vivek might become be our first Indian president or maybe Kamala. We got a lot of options to get a Brahmin president. I mean, you know, Indian origin. And Indians have been taking over tech CEO jobs, so I decided to go look up and remind myself of all the Indian tech CEOs. So, Sundar Pichai, CEO of Google. Satya Nadella, CEO of Microsoft. I won't give you all the names, but IBM, Nokia, Adobe, and then the CEO of Twitter before Elon Musk fired him was also an Indian. CEO of MasterCard, a bunch of companies that aren't that famous but are, you know, top 100 companies. Just a ton of Indian CEOs, and maybe America is like a company, and her CEO is going to be Indian too. I'm trying to measure the amount of Trump derangement syndrome in the media and anti-white racism by... Mostly I've been watching NBC Nightly News because you can get it on YouTube. And then recently you can get ABC Nightly News on there too, so I'm sometimes checking that out. And then the PBS NewsHour is on there. I don't know. So Thursday night I watched all three of them. And I wish someone else would do this systematically so you could put stats on it. I mean, it's just, anyways, what I'm doing is not ironclad evidence of anything. But the stories were Texas, immigration, Trump, Biden, are they going to have a deal and pay for Ukraine and have, you know, comprehensive immigration reform? And then Trump showed up in court the day before for the E. Jean Carroll, which is the crazy lady, suing him for defamation, who accused him of rape. And so I would have guessed that PBS NewsHour would have the most Trump-deranged coverage. But in fact, they were very even-handed, at least that night. And then ABC is the most deranged. They're owned by Disney. And then the one I've been watching for months, NBC Nightly News, they're starting to get deranged. They were deranged that night. They haven't been lately, but they are now, maybe. And basically what the two, ABC and NBC, they were just recycling the Biden administration or campaign, I guess it's the campaign's um, talking points. Because they're trying to get this deal in Congress about immigration and Trump said, don't do a deal unless you get everything, you know, everything that the country needs or something to stop immigration. And so the coverage was like, Trump said, don't do a deal. Don't do a deal until I'm president because I want to run on this immigration problem. You know, so is holding out for a good deal the same thing as saying don't ever do a deal? It's obviously not the same. And then just what's funny is they're like, Trump said don't ever do a deal. And then they put Trump's quote on there, which is don't do a deal unless it's a good deal. So they just, they show themselves to be liars within their own segment. It reminds me of like a hostage video. It's like, you know, someone 
in a grainy footage like these Muslim terrorists are great they're treating me well oh my god they're raping me get me out of here I just wonder if the producers of these TV shows are like all right we got to put in a bunch of lies put in that tiny little bit so that the people in the know you know who can read between the lines see that yeah we're lying to you and then there was the coverage of the court case I think basically they were just covering it because Trump went into court. Uh, I think any time he does that, then I guess that'll be news. And I don't think he has to go in very often. He, he chooses to. And the cameras are not allowed in the court, so there's like a... What is that, like pastel... It's not crayons. Is it like chalk? Anyways, someone draws a picture of like the judge and Trump. They Boy, they... They made him look like the devil. He looked like a classic 1940s New York Post cartoon of the devil. I'll tell you, I collect comic books. I would like to own the original artwork from these court cases. I bet that's valuable. But so, E. Jean Carroll, I don't know what her first E, I don't know. I don't like, come on, get a whole name, not just an initial. But this woman said that Trump rolled up on her, didn't know her at all, in a, um, I want to say grocery store, in a department store, lingerie section, and, I don't know, raped her in a changing room. Anyways, the nightly news coverage of it was whatever, but it made me look into the case a little bit. I'm pretty sure she's lying. She said that Les Moonves, probably never heard of him, but he's a, he's a famous guy who was in charge of I don't know, maybe NBC, back in the day, also raped her, she says. So basically, she was just going around in the 90s, according to her, being a hot young thing, and random famous men were rolling up on her and raping her. And I think it all came out when she wrote her autobiography. And she's kooky as hell. I'm I'm pretty sure she's lying. She's like, I need to spice up my autobiography. You know what would spice it up? A story about Trump raping me when I never met him before or after, just on some random day in some random department store. And then, uh, makes me think of a movie. There's this movie called I Spit on Your Grave. I think it's from the early 80s. And it's kind of a low-budget horror movie. It's about a woman who gets gang raped and then kills all the people who raped her and when i was a kid i used to go into the horror movie section of the video store and you know i wasn't really allowed to rent horror movies but i just whatever they just had the covers on the box that i just i'll never forget i'll never forget the covers on many a box and on that one it said it was, you know, I spit on your grave, and then the little tagline was, no jury in the world would convict her. And so Trump has a similar problem. I guess it's the opposite. But basically, New York City or Washington, D.C., the two places where they want to take him to court the most, it's like no jury in the world in New York City would let him off. It's just a whole city of people who have Trump derangement syndrome like, you know, when you go home to your wife, you don't want to be like, yeah, I was the one who said he was innocent. Oh, hell no. She'll be like, I'm leaving you, you know, pack your things, you're sleeping on the couch, and tomorrow, get the hell out. 
Except you wouldn't even you wouldn't even do that. You'd you'd want to convict him. They'd be like, well, even if he didn't do this particular thing this particular time, I bet he did it a bunch of other times. So we'll just convict him for those other times. But here, let me just read some of the stuff that E. Jean Carroll has written about these rapes. And you can decide if you think this is someone who's telling the truth or if this is just a total kook who's, who's lying. So this is what she says about the Les Moonves rape. He steps into the elevator behind me, Carol writes, and his pants bursting with demands goes at me like an octopus. I don't know how many apertures and openings you possess, reader, but Moonves, with his arms squirming and poking and goosing and scooping and picking and prodding and jabbing, is looking for fissures I don't even know I own, and, by God, I'm not certain that even if I pull off one of his arms, it won't crawl after me and attack me in my hotel bed. Hell, I am thrilled I escaped before he expels his ink. I mean, maybe she's not a kook. She's a pretty good writer. I like that writing. But here's what she says about Trump. The moment the dressing room door is closed, he lunges at me, pushes me against the wall, hitting my head quite badly, and puts his mouth against my lips. I am so shocked I shove him back and start laughing again, Carol writes. He seizes both my arms and pushes me up against the wall a second time, and, as I become aware of how large he is, he holds me against the wall with his shoulder and jams his hand under my coat dress and pulls down my tights. And so, this is a supposed rape that happened 25 years ago. She doesn't remember any of the particulars that would allow you to double-check it, like, oh, it was in this month of this year, and then Trump's like, oh, I was in Argentina that whole month. You're a liar. Anyway, she, she keeps everything very, very vague. And then is like, oh, you know, he said these words to me. And then I said these words back. And then he interrupted me in the middle of this word when I was trying to say <laughs> this other thing. Like She gets crazy specific about some stuff and then crazy vague about other stuff that would prove her a liar. I think she's a liar. And in another court case... Which one? Who cares? Well, the Georgia one. The black woman prosecutor called Trump racist. And so Trump's trying to get her removed for bias. And calling someone racist has been deemed opinion. Like you can't sue someone for defamation. Well, that's just your, their opinion that you're racist. But I think it's also tied up in the legal theories, you know, like disparate impact. Oh, it hurts whites. Well, that doesn't count. Hate crime, motivated by hate. Oh, it's against whites, doesn't count. You know, currently the most evil thing that you can possibly be in America, a racist. You got called one of those by a prosecutor before the case even happened. Oh, you're white, doesn't count. The beginning of this week was all about the election and who's, you know, is Trump going to win in South Carolina and who's he going to pick as vice president? We've moved on from all that, but I grabbed a clip, so... Here's a clip from earlier in the week about Vice President. John Podhortz on the Commentary Magazine podcast was talking about the Veep stakes. I'm going to play a clip. It was pretty funny. The impetus was DeSantis. Saying that I read what he did yesterday as him making it clear that he is willing to suborn his pride, his views, his year of running for president and get rid of it in five seconds in order to join 
what will be an endless procession of yeah. of supplicants to wherever to Mar-a-Lago or wherever, <laughs> while Trump sits there on his throne, yep. eating bonbons and having various. 30, 40, 50 different Republican politicians lick his toes while he stares down at them regally and and and, and so, gives them all a tiny modicum of hope. Here's one more mistake. He might be the president in 2029. Let's take a look at the betting markets. So who will win the U.S. president? You got Trump at 47, Biden at 48. Biden's up one. And who's going to be vice president for Trump? Uh, the top people are Elise Stefanik, Christy Nome, Tim Scott, Vivek Ramaswamy. And that goes from 24 cents on the dollar down to 14. In 1952, a Saudi Arabian prince got drunk and murdered someone. So they outlawed alcohol in Saudi Arabia. But this year, they're opening up a liquor store for diplomats only. But it's probably the beginning of a change of allowing alcohol in Saudi Arabia. And Saudi Arabia is trying to become a modern, nice, western-style country. So, in honor of the truckers out there, here's an old episode explaining how Saudi Arabia is changing. Twitter handle, at Religion of Woke. Does a woman cover herself from head to toe because God told her so? Or is it because she's not that hot? I've been using YouTube to learn about the Middle East lately. I think I was watching videos about big buildings, which led me to Dubai, which has a tall skyscraper. And I was like, what's it like to live in Dubai? So then I was watching... Uh, there's a lot of YouTube tourists who go to various countries and just film their whole trip and put it online. And Dubai seemed fine. It looked like, you know, if you were rich, whatever, the richer you are, the more awesome Dubai would be. And obviously, I'm interested in the politics. So in Dubai, you could pretty much do what you wanted to do. Like, I mean, there was girls in bikinis at the beach. But it seemed like maybe you wanted to, you know, if you're going to act like it was... America or Europe or whatever, uh, you had to do it in certain areas, and, you know, there were certain other rules, you know, you'd find everything would be closed all at once for prayer or Ramadan or whatever, and I got the feeling, like, basically, you know, if you're a white person in Dubai with money, you're going to be fine, um, but you probably don't, you know, no one's run into any cops so far that I've seen, but it sounds like you probably don't want to run into the Dubai cops, uh, they mostly leave you alone, and then who knows? Who knows what happens if they, whatever, if they think you're giving them the, if they think you're doing something that they don't like. But anyway, so I've moved on from that little stuff. There's this guy named Peter Santanello on YouTube, and I think he makes videos of everywhere. But I'm watching his ones in Saudi Arabia. Like he gets there. And it kind of looks like Southern California. Well, first off, this massive... Okay, he goes to Riyadh. Riyadh is the capital of Saudi Arabia. And I think that's where all the rich Saudi princes live. And, you know, there's massive construction and cranes and stuff everywhere. I think a hundred years ago, it probably had 
a few buildings, none of them more than one story tall. I mean, it's a little bit of an exaggeration. And now it's a giant city, as big as like any American city. But anyways, he just like everywhere he goes, he sees a Starbucks. And like there's giant streets that you can't get across because the place is for pe it's for people who drive. It's you know, driving is the only way to get around the city, you know, similar to a lot of West Coast American cities. And I think it's it's because he's like a white man American, but everywhere he goes, everyone is just so freaking nice to him, just like as if they've been the greatest friends forever when they just meet him. I mean, yeah, like his first day, he just walks around, and some guy with a, you know, driving a Mercedes or something is like, hey, get in the car, man, let's go look at the city. And he does that for a few hours. He's like, okay, good to see you, man, that was fun. And he starts walking around a little bit again. Another guy, a guy driving an Audi, is like, hey, man, get in the car, I'll drive you around and show you this other part of Riyadh. Now, one thing in Riyadh is you don't film the ladies so, I had to go and look up, uh, well, actually, there is a, anyways, you don't film the ladies, generally. So, I went on um, Google Image Search and looked up uh, Saudi women, and they're hot. I mean, whatever. It looks like they're hot. You'd never know. They're covered, you know, whatever. A few years ago, they were covered head to toe, and you had no idea, but they're hot. And I guess they're Arab, but they don't look like... Saddam Hussein with a big fat round nose type of Arabs. They they kind of look Persian. Anyways, they're hot. That's what I like to do. If I want to know what a you know, I can't tell the difference between a good looking man and an ugly man very much. So if I want to know what the people in the country look like, I look up what their women look like, and I I can pass judgment pretty quickly because I'm a misogynist. So one of this guy's videos is named "Driving with a Saudi Woman," and this is like he's there. Uh, four months after they changed the law and let women in Saudi Arabia drive. Like, before that, they couldn't drive at all. I'm sure the cops would do something crazy to you. Anyway, so this smoking hot Saudi woman, probably about 25 years old, is taking around the city to see stuff. She does let him film her face. Um, he's like, you know, is this crazy that you can drive now? And she's like, well, when it happened, it was insane. But, you know, four months later, uh, totally used to it. And she's estimating that maybe 70 to 80 percent of women in Riyadh drive now. And apparently the government is doing stuff to try and modernize uh, the country. I think what it is is that, so the leader, the, the, whatever, the ruler of Saudi Arabia, he's like 36 years old. His name is uh, MBS, Mohammed bin Salman. And my guess is he saw Dubai and he's like, we got, we got way more oil than Dubai. I want to make a Dubai right here in Riyadh, the capital of Saudi Arabia. And so, you know, if you want tourists, you want tourists from Europe or wherever to come visit you, you can't have laws where, they, where the cops, you know, grab you and start beating you with a cane. So he let women drive. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of the women wear a lot of big-time covering, but some of, them, some of them show their face. I think some of them show their hair. One of those places where they, they cover their hair, but not their face. And then this lady is talking about, you know, women getting a job in Riyadh. And the government has some sort of rules and points system. And so if you hire a woman, that counts as two men. So, like, it's, it's twice as good 
towards whatever whatever thing the government uh, makes you do, you know, lowers your taxes or doesn't close you down or whatever it is. But anyways, so you have you know basically they're super incentivized to hire women, so they can drive and now they're working. Boom. And I'm sure there's a ton of old people, especially old women, who are like, this is terrible. You're all going to hell. But anyways, the guy in charge, apparently he has the power to do it, and he done done it. And I think everyone is just, I think everyone in the Middle East, everyone who's got oil, everyone around there, they looked at Dubai, and they're like, where I could, you know, someone visiting from Egypt is like, you know what, Egypt is a shithole compared to Dubai. Person who comes from Saudi Arabia is like Saudi Arabia is a shithole compared to Dubai, and so they're all doing it. And I mean, this is the shocking thing. But Dubai is like, okay, we're gonna have something close to uh, you know rule of law. Everyone's treated equally, uh, you know, the way it is in the West in their city. And then it looks like all the other all these other places that are super Muslim hotspots are copying them. And especially looking at Saudi Arabia, like they are changing, you know, almost overnight. Four months after four months, things are like gone from, I don't know, medieval cut off your hands for looking at a woman to, uh, oh, now they got women in the coffee shop. Although I will say the coffee shop has two sections and you can't, they do not mix. So, you know, I mean, they're still doing whatever. It takes a little longer than four months to turn, um, Saudi Arabia into the south of France. But whatever. I approve. I think everyone everyone should be treated equally. Everyone should be given opportunity. It's great. And it's funny because this Peter guy, you know, he's just meeting all these different Saudi Arabian people. And, you know, it's like, oh, you're a lawyer. How long have you been doing that? Oh, one year. Oh, you've been living in this city. How long have you been doing that? Oh, one year. Anyways, every question he has for them about anything, the answer is always one year. Because apparently, more than a year ago, you couldn't do none of that stuff. The lady is a lawyer. And they all like sit down. She's got like, you know, her, her male, she's got male friends. They sit down next to them for lunch. It's like, oh, how long have you guys known each other? Oh, one year, etc. Okay, that's interesting. So we got a guy and a girl talking about driving. And, like, I don't know if you've ever been to another country, but they drive like maniacs. You know, they're not, like, stopping for lights and whatever. Anyways, they drive like maniacs. What would be considered a maniac? What would get you pulled over in the United States? But so the women who just started driving, you know, and they probably don't want this. You get a different king in there. They might take away everything. So the women follow the rules. So basically, the women, it's, a, it's, it's half and half. In a country of half, it's drivers, it's half. Half of them, they drive like Americans that follow the rules. That's the women. And then half of them, they're like, oh, I've been driving in the Middle East for 20 years, and I drive like a crazy person. Four lanes, that's enough for three trucks, two cars, and seven motorcycles. No problem. All right, so there's hijab, niqab, and burqa. So this lady's wearing a hijab. That just means you cover your hair. It's kind of like a scarf, and your face can be seen. Next up is the niqab, so it covers your hair and it covers below your eyes, but your eyes can be seen. And then the burqa, you can't see a damn thing. I guess you can see their hands. Looks like they don't cover their hands, that's the only part. But so this guy is asking, asking her, like, he sees women around in their niqabs, and I think it's mostly niqabs, maybe a burqa or two, and uh, 
he's like, is that what they want to do or is that what they're forced to do? Because you see in the background, you know, he'll film a woman. He doesn't cut out a woman if she's completely and utterly covered in cloth. So he's like, what's up with that? Yeah, so why are they wearing this stuff? And her answer is, I mean, this place is changing, you know. One year. How long has this been going on? One year. Uh, some people wear it because they like to. You know, I'm sure if you're super religious or whatever, you'd love to wear your uh, niqab. Um, some women just wear it because, I mean, hell, it's only been one year or something since you didn't have to wear it. So they always wore it, so they're continuing to wear it. They don't really have a big, you know, they're not crazy feminists, I guess. They're not fourth wave feminists. And he's like, well, what about, and then some of them, right? Some of them, their husband tells them they must wear it. And she's like, no, not really. And by the way, she drives a full-size Ford. So this isn't one of those pansy-ass Asian countries where the streets are super narrow. Like, they got freaking suburban SUVs. They got everything. It doesn't look like they're in love with pickup trucks the way that Americans are, though. All right, they do have this prayer thing. I think it's five times a day. Whatever, that's Muslim, Islam stuff. Um, so like the Starbucks, every place like closes the door for, I'm not sure how long, 15 minutes. They close the, they close the place for 15 minutes. It's basically like a break for the employees. I mean, I'm sure if you're very religious, you can go do lots of praying. Um, but anyways, basically, every store you go to is going to be closing five times a day for a little while. And you see people walking up to the, you know, you see uh, non-Saudis walking up to the door like, oh, let me in. Oh, damn it. Prayer again. All right. So if a woman went around with no head covering at all, just showing off her nose and her hair, uh, I think a few years ago, you know, a few years before 2018, she would have got her ass beat. Anyways, he's talking to a guy about how it used to be. He doesn't say ass beat. He... She'd be asked to cover up, but uh, I don't think it'd be real nice. Anyways, so here's what happened. Here's what happened. They had religious police, like there was a, whatever, not normal cops who also believe in religion. They had people whose specific job was to be religious police and to go around making you follow the religion. And they said you can't go to various places, like, I don't know. It sounds like you can't go to the city. You know, there's probably religious police in the countryside countryside, and look out, ladies. But uh, they got rid of the religious police. And then, boom, everyone's like, oh, I'll just wear whatever I want. I'll drive whatever I want. This is awesome. And then, you know, for the future of them, it'll be interesting because their country is, like, young. Like, 60% of them are 25 years old or, young, or younger. So, I mean, it ain't like other places in the world where... Everyone's getting old. They got tons of young people, so maybe these young people will just learn to live by the new rules. You know, basically Western rules. Or, if they have no jobs, uh, you know, they might become terrorists or something. It looks like Saudi Arabia, and they got giant cities, tons of construction. Looks like they're going to be okay. It's not like your normal shithole country. I mean, they got money. Talk about a place with money. Oil and money. They got it, and... So, hopefully having a ton of young boys uh, doesn't mean you have a ton of young unemployed boys who then turn to violence. So, I haven't heard what the story on alcohol is in Saudi Arabia. In Dubai, you could drink. You had to stay. 
you could not take a drink out on the street, otherwise the cops would get you. Um, so I don't know what it is in Saudi yet. I'll tell you if I learn. But everywhere they go, there's coffee shops. So that's making me think they don't have alcohol, and their substitute is coffee. Get your Saudi lady hopped up on caffeine and try and get in her pants, I guess. The cars are funny in Saudi Arabia. The cops drive Crown Vicks, just like they do in America. And he's like, whatever, this guy's walking around looking at the cars, and there's just like old, broken down, full-size American cars all over the place. Well, you know, in this one kind of poor section of town. So, and this guy, he travels the whole world. He says, outside of America, I've never been to another place that has the same cars as America. But apparently Saudi Arabia, that's the one. Saudi Arabia only started allowing tourists in 2019. Like, you, you know, you go there as an American. they never seen an American. Then the guy goes into the middle of Saudi Arabia, like not the big cities. And it's like a super crazy ancient ghost town. I think I mentioned, like, no tourists have ever been able to go to Saudi Arabia until... 2019, boy, and then the pandemic hit. Like, you could be the first freaking tourist that every single person you meet has ever even heard of and seen. But he goes to, like, a village. There's no one there. There's, like, no one there. Huge, whatever. It's a 900-year-old village built on a cliffside with real fancy, like, cliff, or sorry, rock houses rock wall houses i don't know i mean you know it's 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 as fancy easily as fancy as a giant cat castle in uh, medieval europe anyways and they used to have a bunch of people living there but now they've all moved to the city it's just deserted and he goes like walking around in them you know the problem with the problem with construction back in the day is you can build a rock wall that'll last for a thousand years but if you want to have multi-stories, you got to use wood to go across it. And that stuff kind of starts falling apart. Same thing with like the Hopi Indians in the Southwest. And so this stuff isn't that decrepit, but starting to fall apart. If it was in America, we would, whatever, we'd have uh, daughters of the American South would go uh, keep that stuff in fine repair. But it looks like in Saudi Arabia currently they're kind of letting it fall apart. But damn, damn do they have giant, amazing old buildings with not a single person in them and no one caring. And just like, you know, throw your Mountain Dew can on the ground and leave it there as trash. And I don't think if you're a woman. If you're a woman, go to the big cities. You'll have a great time. Uh, I'm not sure if a woman wants to go traveling around the middle of Saudi Arabia. Probably not. Okay, here we go. They ain't got alcohol. But they got something called Udra. And it's like marijuana. It's like how marijuana was before... Whatever. The white man got a hold of it and started doing a bunch of crazy cultivating. I believe marijuana comes from Afghanistan. But anyways, it comes from the Middle East. And so uh, they still got it. And they smoke it weird. Like you have a big pile of it from in like kind of a urn. And then you just waft it into your face. You don't do it from a pipe. Alright, so the guy gives a summary at one point about Saudi Arabia, and he's like, one person he talked to thinks that alcohol will be legalized in a couple years. 
And another guy he talked to thinks that uh, women should not be allowed to drive because he respects women too much and he wants to protect them. So I think Saudi Arabia, it's like if you're a Saudi citizen, whatever, the oil money provides a lot of money for you. And then like all the workers are from like Pakistan and Sri Lanka and um, India and whatnot. So there's a ton of non-Saudi people there. And then the Saudis are driving around in nice cars. And I think, you know, they get school paid for. They get college paid for. Sounds like a lot of them go to a college in America. So maybe the Saudi government pays for American college for like Saudi people or subsidizes it or something. So it seems like a good chunk of people um, speak English. And a lot of the people he meets are like, they've been in Britain for the last five years they've been living in you know some young these are young people they've been living in america for 12 years and now that saudi arabia is becoming nice they're moving back and the other thing that i'll say about saudi arabia is that they have the cheapest to get out of the ground oil in the world like you know why why are they so famous for their oil because it's easy to get out of the ground i think now that we've developed fracking america has more oil than Saudi Arabia. Like, you know, I think Canada, America, Venezuela. It's a number of countries, Russia, that have maybe more oil than Saudi Arabia. But in Saudi Arabia, I think it's something like, it costs like $10 to get a barrel of oil out of the ground. Whereas, uh, you know, in Canada with the the tar sands, that's one of the hardest, that's the hardest place to get the oil out of the ground. It costs like $70 or something to get a barrel of oil out of the ground. So, you know, if a barrel of oil costs $70, and that means a Saudi can make 60 bucks a barrel. And that means the Canadian tar sands, there's no point in getting it out because you just break even. But when oil goes up to, say, 100 all of a sudden it's like America's like, oh, at $100, you know, we can get our oil out for $50 a barrel with fracking. It means we turn a $50 profit, and we got a ton of this stuff. So, whatever. That means something for geopolitics i mean it used to be like america and everyone was just falling all over themselves to be friends with the saudis um i think not so much anymore you know whatever everyone likes oil everyone wants a heated house and uh, wants to drive their car well that's the end of the podcast there's some links in the description and thanks for listening